We recap the weekend that was that saw the Hornets go 0 and 2. Plus, we give an ode to a Hornets legend. All today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcasts. That includes YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, and you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. Check out myself, Wesson Walker, on Wesson Walker, right here, WFNZ, 12 to 3 p.m. in the city of Charlotte. You can find my Twitter handle, at Walker Mail. That's Doug Branson. You can find his Substack on his website, everyhornetsboxscore.com. If you're watching YouTube, you just got to see Doug wave at you. So that's Doug waving to the people, and uh, go check out his work. He's writing a lot of good stuff about the Hornets. The problem is, Charlotte's not necessarily giving us a, a whole lot of good stuff. We will get to some of that, though, in the second segment, because there are some things to look forward to, maybe in the distant future, maybe in the not so distant future, but it's it's not the present, Doug, because the present, it's providing us a lot of injuries as we talk about every single day on the show because it's important context to mention with this team. But we're also talking about some of the losses that come the way of those injuries, right? Hornets, they lose to the Philadelphia 76ers last night. They lose 131 to 113. I mean, they were kind of in it. They they were within earshot of possibly coming back, but then, you know, they lose by 20 in the fourth quarter. That's just kind of how it is. To be to be clear, they only lost by nine in the fourth, but 20 overall in the game after the fact. The Hornets would lose badly to the New York Knicks, and they were kind of in that one, too, in the first half, and then the Knicks just separated in the second half right out of the gate, really. Um, yeah, just not a great weekend, and... If you we can get to Bryce McGowan's getting a ton of minutes, we'll do that. We'll do that in the second segment. Kai Jones provides some really fun plays. Don't know how much of that is functional to winning, but Doug, to me, I go like I, I watch this weekend, uh-huh. and I feel like this is the perfect example of all of the Hornets' problems. These two games, center issues, having to rely on Mason for you know thirty minutes of contest not being able to compete down low, defensive rebounding, relying on two players to score all the points for you that aren't all-stars and have never been all-stars in their career. You're relying on Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier to be your leaders on offense to put the ball in the hoop. They can score, and they've shown that. Kelly, never really done it efficiently in his career, but has turned a new leaf this season a little bit, plus minus still pretty damn minus in a lot of these contests. Uh, the, his, his friends are not helping him. Terry Rozier, kind of a down year for him, right? And yet those are the guys you're relying on because LaMelo Ball makes his absence, makes everybody play out of position. Gordon Hayward, same thing. And Steve Clifford comes in after that game against New York. I'm mentioning that one because it's because I I covered that when I was at the Spectrum Center. He's like, look, man, it's not effort. We're doing the whole 110% effort thing. It's just we're not rebounding, and it's, it's really hard to win right now with all these guys out. Yeah, I mean they're fighting hard. There's no doubt about it. They they get the they get the effort award, but they are missing a, a lot of players. Cody Lamelo, Gordon, DSJ have all been out since 
November 23rd, right before Thanksgiving. And and the first game that all four of those players were out was actually against Philadelphia. And they got a win against Philadelphia because Philadelphia wasn't playing a, a lot of their best players. And, and so the Hornets were able to get that win. Then they got a great win against Minnesota. Then they lost Terry Rozier for a game against Boston where they got blown out. Then they got a win against Washington. And now they're on this five-game losing streak. And I point all that out to, to, to really illustrate that when they lost all four of those guys at the same time, the Hornets really rallied around each other and, and were able to get a couple of good wins for a period. But at a certain point, and there was a lot of buy-in at that time, and, and there's been a lot of buy-in all season on what Clifford wants them to do in terms of transition defense. Hasn't been a ton of, of rebounding buy-in, but in terms of just defense in general, this team has been a lot better. But I think when you're missing guys for as long as the Hornets have been missing guys, especially offensive talent, and and you see you know these 100, 105 point games time after time again, I think the buy-in starts to slip a little bit. You can see this on the macro level. Think about Steve Clifford's first time in Charlotte when you know he was selling them on these principles that would eventually lead to playoff winning basketball. And when it didn't lead to playoff winning basketball partly because of circumstances outside of Clifford's control in terms of roster construction and injuries, eventually the buy-in starts to fade away. And you're seeing that on a micro level now where Clifford is saying, all right, here are the principles that lead to winning basketball, but he can't get away from the fact that that four of, of their main pieces are out and they don't have enough point guards, and that's that's leading to losing. And now the players are starting to play bad transition defense, which you saw against Philadelphia, yeah. uh, abuse them in the transition game. And, and all of these things are starting to snowball now. And on top of that, Walker, you go into this weekend and you play New York, who doesn't have Obi Toppin, so they decide to go big. And against Philadelphia, that can play big, and they did. They gave it to the big guy that you can't stop, Joel Embiid, 53-burger. You, you combine all that together, the Hornets can't guard big. They just can't. They don't They don't have it within them. They don't have the, the center depth. Uh, neither of the, their centers can really get physical in that way. It's just it's a challenge. I mean, yeah, it, again, it's just the perfect example for me. I mean, Joel Embiid, <clears throat> he's the player that is the hardest matchup for you probably in the NBA. Anybody that strong. For and a lot look, of te- I mean, for a lot of teams, to be fair, but yes, cor- for Charlotte cor- specifically, yes. Yes, yes. To be fair, Joel Embiid was an MVP candidate, and yet if you were to list all of the teams that are most equipped to deal with him, possibly, I might put the Hornets as dead last in that list of teams that are well-equipped to deal with Joel Embiid. Mason Plumley, Nick Richards got 20 minutes in this one, and that's actually more than he's been playing lately because Steve Clifford had gone to benching Nick Richards quite a bit. Look, you mentioned the message from Steve Clifford and the buy-in. Steve Clifford specifically said those words, buy-in, after the game against Philadelphia when it comes to transition defense and then swiping down, right? When you swipe down at the basketball the official sees that that's really like elementary school stuff, to be honest with you in middle school. I, I specifically remember my middle school coach telling me not to swipe down at the basketball or else the officials are going to call a foul. And here's Steve Clifford saying that same thing. But they're in, desperate. That That's in, the thing. They're de- These guys are desperate and they're exhausted and they're trying to figure out ways to score on offense and they can't and they're running into brick walls. And I think that is leading to them doing, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. They can't guard these guys. They couldn't guard that Embiid, Harden, pick and roll. And Philadelphia, unfortunately for the Hornets, Philadelphia came into that game looking to murder. 
they had played a couple of games with like chaotic endings and they were trying to figure out a way to, you know, get their season back on track. And they decided to pick on the Charlotte Hornets because that Embiid Harden pick and roll was just like, I mean, you look at that fourth quarter Walker and Clifford tried to throw everything (laughs) in the kitchen sink. At one point, the Charlotte Hornets, I kid you not, under Steve Clifford, played zone defense. I didn't think it was possible, but Clifford even employed the zone at points to try to slow down that pick and roll. But they tried to trap Harden. They tried to double uh, Embiid and absolutely nothing worked. Well, a little ode to James Borrego playing some zone defense. Maybe Steve Clifford is throwing out there. I don't think it was. A, <laughs> I, don't think it was a, I don't think it was an ode. Uh, I, I to, do. No, I, I wish totally I had the trap. So. I wish I had the. Um, I call that a trap thing on my um, uh, no, piece, but I don't. What I really wanted to go to is this: Steve Clifford after the game sounded different against New York than he did any other time, and against New York post game press conference. Steve Clifford wasn't angry. He wasn't yelling. And it wasn't even like, you know, the classic saying is, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And it wasn't even that feeling from Steve Clifford. He, his important message to get through to the guys was that they can still win. And to me, that seems like, let's try not to lose this thing. That's what it seemed like to me. And he kept saying that unprovoked. And then I asked a question. I'm like, you know, Steve, you this seems to be your number one overall message right now to the team that you can still win on Sunday, right? Because that's what he was saying after that game on Friday. Look, my message to the guys there was you, it's not an effort problem. We can still win on Sunday. We can still win these games. You know, we just got to make sure we're doing everything that we can that's within our control. But it's going to be hard while, while these guys are out. And I just wanted to make I wanted to ask why that was the emphasis. And he talked about you can't lie to an NBA locker room. You know, you just can't do it. That's the number one important thing. But Steve Clifford sounded different. I mean, you texted me and said he sounded defeated, right? Yes, understanding what your point was. He just he just understands what it is right now. Like this is well, both at, both from a short term perspective and a long term perspective, because I'm sure he looks at the record and goes seven twenty third of the way to go. Like not impossible. If everybody comes back tomorrow, it's not impossible. To, to get this ship and he was sure to point that out to his team by the way when i asked him to when i asked him about his emphasis on hey we can still win these games another thing he points to at least at that point was saying hey we're only a, a, a few games out of yeah. the play-in yeah. spot i mean it's it's, it's growing we know I, what it I is get, right we know it's growing. i i get why he's doing it i mean kudos yeah, to him you don't want your coach coming out and say like hey there's no hope but here's the problem I would buy into to that idea that there was hope for this team to get healthy and all of a sudden turn things around. If this was like year three of them being together with Steve Clifford, right? If there mm-hmm. was familiarity, if there was some idea that like when the guys come back that the playing groups are going to be settled, but that's not that's not the case. This is Steve Clifford's first year with this group, and he didn't even really have a solid chance in the preseason and training camp because of injuries to Cody Martin and PJ Washington and others. And then well, and his late arrival because of all the chaos that was deciding who the head coach was. Right, right. <laughs> so you know, all of these things, I think, um, have, this is a bit of a cursed season, and so you know, I, I think the faster this organization can come to terms with that and start to move more of the focus to what you know you and I want to focus on in the second segment, which is the the long term future, the youth that this team has, which is exciting. I think the better off the organization will be. All right, let's dive into some of that. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. 
kind of a palms up in the air saying we don't know what to do segment to lead off here. But we do have a couple of other positive things to mention about Bryce McGowan's getting a ton of minutes lately. Kai Jones giving you some fun transition dunks this weekend. So we'll get to that in just a moment. This episode is brought to you uh, by Rocket Money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's just an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app that you can use that helps you track all of your expenses. And because of that, you no longer have to waste money on subscriptions you don't even use anymore. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money. It's formerly known as Truebill. This app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com dot com slash locked on positives next locked on hornets is locked on hornets they're running their rookies to greensboro they're driving them to greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an nba game i cannot (laughs) wait until the hornets load manage it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast Thanks for making Locked On Hornets your first listen today. Make your next listen Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. I got it. Before we before we do this positive thing, Walker, I've got a bone to pick with some of the coverage around the Charlotte Hornets right now in a particular stat. And in fact, it's it's such a bone. It's such a huge bone that I have to pick. I need to do something that I rarely do on this show. I need to call for the shot to come to me full screen. Director, please bring the <laughs> it, camera in close. It's something okay? you want to do a lot more frequently than you do. But yes, <laughs> you just couldn't hold it anymore. This is the time. This stat that they keep talking about, Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre scoring 20 points apiece in consecutive games. We absolutely have to stop with this. It's sad for two reasons. Number one, because the Hornets as an organization have not really had in their history uh, a, a you know dominant two-person scoring duo. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons. But the other reason is because I think everyone really understands why Kelly and Terry are scoring 20 points apiece in these consecutive games. Because they have to. Because there's not a lot of other offensive talent on this team. And because these two veterans have decided that they are the only hope so please i beg of you we must stop with this statistic thank you for um enduring that rant on my part there you go if you want to watch us on youtube you can see doug's beautiful face and it actually gotta stop i mean walker don't you agree like we have to stop with that stat Oh, yeah. I mean, no, there's, I mean, that, it's what I talked about. If you're relying on Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre to keep you afloat as your main two offensive guys, it's going to be really tough. And you know what sucks is that it makes it sound like that's this huge shot against Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier. It's not, no, I mean, what they've been doing yeah. is Herculean. What the, and, and we've said that on this show, and I've written it on every Hornets box score. I mean, seriously, props to Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier. There has to be a way to talk about that that doesn't I think I think I don't think fans are stupid. That's my whole thing. I think when you put that stat up there, you are assuming that fans are dumb enough to go, "Wow, that's, you know, that's a real achievement." and not understand, "Oh yeah, they're doing that because 
uh, of all of the bad things that are happening around the Charlotte Hornets right now, both historically and in the short term. So, yeah, there's got to be a way to talk about that and maybe put some more focus on the young guys, which is the actual silver lining. The silver lining mm-hmm. is not Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre scoring 20 points a game. The silver lining is more minutes for the young guys. Well, and, and real quickly, Kelly Oubre, he also spoke after the New York Knicks game. And I asked him if he felt some larger sense of responsibility to score as much as he has. And he says no, to be honest with you. He says he's just still trying to play his game as as best as possible and try to get wins. And it's just not happening, of course, because we know what the deal is. We've talked about it a million times. But Kelly says he does not feel this larger sense of responsibility. He also, though, Doug, this this entire season, I, it's, it's I, not I, you know, first. I'm not going to call. I'm not going to call him a liar. I'm not going to call him a liar because I don't call anyone a liar on this show except for Kunkel, Will Kunkel. I got my eyes on you, Will Kunkel. <laughs> oh really? Wow, what happened there? Goodness gracious! Why is well, there's he history? Straight? There's history. I got my eyes on Kunkel. Everyone knows that who watches the show a lot. Um, so, but I'm not going to call him. I knew that to be yeah, honest. I, I go back and look at the tape. Will Kunkel knows what he did. Okay. Um, here's the thing. I'm not going to call anyone a liar on this show, but I'm going to call BS on that. I think Kelly obviously understands that, uh, you know, that there are few one V one scoring options on this team. PJ Washington hasn't been consistent. A lot of youth on the floor at all times. Kelly absolutely feels more responsibility. Yeah. Whether he wants to admit it or not. No. And and the PJ shooting stuff that that's frustrating. And then even Kelly five of 24 from three over his last five games, miserable, from beyond the arc it's it's not and that's his that's the thing that helps right it's it's pj's three-point shooting and it's not there right now and that's what's killing him you know offensively like i still think he's a huge plus defensively even with the defensive rebounding issues i think his guarding right i think that's still really important but the shooting man like oh of 13 and then especially after that clippers game it's not been good for pj but even with kelly just real quickly you've seen some defeated Kelly Oubre press conferences this year. Like the the one after New York was not the only one. We, we've seen this from Kelly before, so it's growing frustrating for him. Bryce McGowan's he also spoke after that game against the New York Knicks in which he had a career high in minutes logged, about 30 for the second round pick this past NBA draft out of Nebraska. Right. Scored 10 points, three of nine from the field. You know, shooting has been phenomenal but I mean, it's been fine from three point range on, on small volume. Here's the thing, man, Bryce McGowan's just looks like there's something there when you watch what he's able to provide on a basketball court. Um, you know, defensively, I think there's still some veteran savvy moves that gets him to foul and you know, whatever, but I don't really care. Right. I don't think you should care with Bryce McGowan's with that aspect as it stands now, right? Like a really aggressive athletic, not afraid of the moment. His his teammates really respect him. You know, Bryce McGowan says actually Kelly Oubre has has, you know, talked to him quite a bit and he really looks up to the veterans on this team. And I know everybody says that it felt a little bit more intentional from Bryce McGowan's than the run of the mill rookie comment you hear, you know, like, oh, yeah, these veterans are great. It just felt more genuine from Bryce McGowan's talking about some of these older guys. Yeah, man, he's been despite, you know, only scoring four and a half points on the season. Well, no Still, one will you pass can tell him the there's ball. something nice. No one will yeah, pass well, him the ball. And to McGowan's credit, he's not going – when he gets it in transition, yeah, he's going with it. Like, he he does take his opportunities there when he finally gets the ball in his hands and nobody can take it away from him. But at least – I'll give him credit that in the half court, he's not feeling the pressure 
to hunt for his offense because he knows the ball is not coming back to him. I think that's often with young players when they know, like, oh, I'm going to have to stand in the corner for the whole game, so if I get the ball in my hands, I've got to go with it. He doesn't feel that pressure, which means he's making less mistakes on the offensive end, which means that he's earning trust with Steve Clifford, which means he's getting more minutes. I mean, he had 23 minutes. He led all bench players in that game against Philadelphia, which was less of a blowout than New York. So I think the 23 minutes against Philadelphia is actually more impressive than the 30-plus minutes that he had against New York, which which included some garbage time minutes. But but, LeBron, but to be fair, no, you're yeah. right. But to be fair, with about nine minutes left to go, we're being very I think fair the, on this show. We're being very fair on this show. We've said that. Have, we, have we done that before? I don't know. I, if, if I've said that five times, and I apologize, but I am. No, I've said to it fair. too. <laughs> but with Bryce McGowan's, he was actually the second. To be fair, the the second uh, <laughs> league. <laughs> He was like the second leading minutes getter in that Knicks game really late when they were still within a shot, right? I mean, it got ugly very quickly. That game altogether, you either had alley-oops and fun dunks or everybody was missing shots. That was th- that game had plenty of exciting plays, and all the other normal shots were being missed by both teams. Per se. All right, go ahead. Sorry. To but be fair, if 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 they're going to be missing these big rotation pieces for any longer, I really feel like the message needs to get to Terry and Kelly and some other players on this team to find McGowan's on these drives because Terry and Kelly can get by their first assignment, but the book is out that that if you just pay attention to them a little bit closer on these drives, that you can. You know, you can block their shots. You can guard them without fouling. They're not like – they're good finishers, but they're not like incredible finishers to the point where it's like, well, they're James Harden level going to draw the fouls. The Hornets are not drawing fouls. So what's happening is so many of these Kelly and Terry drives are stopping at the point where they get by the first player and the help comes over and then it's a block shot or a missed layup. And meanwhile, they're drawing the defense. There were multiple plays where I saw Kelly or Terry move James Harden, whoever was guarding Bryce McGowan's in the corner. They were pulling that defender, and Bryce McGowan's wide open in the corner. Ball doesn't find him. We need to see what Bryce McGowan's can do with a little bit more usage. He's just not getting enough usage. And if this season is starting to turn you know, towards – whatever development tank, however you want to phrase it. I think the sooner we can get Bryce McGowan's the ball in his hands to see what he can do, the better off the team will be because McGowan's again, to his credit, he's unselfish. You saw him kick out to Kai Jones for a little nice play. That's what I'm talking about. Like Kai Jones, uh, uh, Bryce McGowan's so mature. He could have taken that opportunity to, to go score for himself because he doesn't get the ball a lot. Instead, he sees Kai Jones open in the corner, feeds it, and Kai gets a, a a layup and one. It was beautiful. Um, no, it was good. I, I heard about thirty three percent of that. I'm sure the other sixty six percent was was fantastic. The reason well, to I, be I only fair, heard to it, be fair, it was. Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. No, um, but to be fair, on my end, I I realize if if you if you run this back, so if you're watching on YouTube, you can probably go back like a couple minutes into Doug's soliloquy about Bryce McGowan's, and then. You could see my door open by itself. I didn't realize that I had not opened or I had not shut the door. So I have three dogs, the beagle, the two golden retrievers all come rushing and then jump to my side. I'm sure you can see a snout. Yep. There's a beagle right there. There he is. So we're going to go to a break, talk about Kai Jones a little bit more, and then maybe focus on some positives. I'm going to shut the door in just a moment. Coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. 
shout out to a legend as well. Yes, coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, um, we were really sad to hear the passing of Paul Silas, just one of the best characters and people of all time in Charlotte Hornets history and maybe the best coach in the Hornets organization. We're going to remember Paul Silas after his passing yesterday <clears throat> at the age of 79. And uh, we'll also talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that we saw this weekend. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. They give you simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. That's linkedin.com slash NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We remember Paul Silas coming up next. This is Locked on Hornets. To start this off, we all know about LeBron and how he built a school and it got a lot of fanfare. By the time 2019 closes, Bismack Biombo is planning to have six schools. Take that, LeBron. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Let's finish up with this uh, weekend's recap here, Doug. You brought up, I, we talked about Bryce McGowan's. What are some of the other positives? Maybe if you dig deep into the notebook, we can bring that out tomorrow as well. But the Kai Jones, the Teo Maladon, you know, for what he's done this year. What are some of the things that you wanted to talk about with these, with these young guys that are getting a lot of run uh, on the bench because it's really the only option Steve Clifford has right now? Well, Teo just keeps doing it consistently. Ramadison just comes in the game just real quick, giving you four or five points. He's been beautiful. Did it against Philadelphia. Um, help help stem the tide. Help keep this game, this Philadelphia game, from becoming that New York game, like easy blowout. Uh, so, yeah, Teo can't talk enough about him. The one thing I'll say about Kai Jones is what makes him particularly dangerous, and the 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 crew, to their credit, pointed this out as well, what makes Kai Jones dangerous is his ability to move and ball fake at the rim without losing the basketball or traveling. Like I think Eric Collins said, he looks out of control, but he's not. Like if you really, he looks out of control in like regular motion, but when you slow it down, you go, no, he's he actually is doing these things with intention. It's just those long, gangly arms that look like those things that you see at a car dealership. You woo. You know that kind of that kind of deal. Um, <laughs> yes. I, they don't really make that sound. I was just sort of illustrating the way the arms move through sound for our podcast listeners. That's not a more it, like a morning dove or an owl, maybe a, a mixture of both, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, to, well, to be fair, um, I'm you know that's the only sound I can go to is the, it's a, I have a kid and the kid likes the sound and so I have a baby. That's that's why I did that. That's the max um, volume. So sure. all all that to say that Kai has a variety of things he can go to when he's underneath the rim but he does it without losing the basketball. And that's what makes those putbacks so easy for him. Uh, also, you know, the fact that he can jump out of the gym. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. And I saw Nikias Duncan and Nada talking about Kai Jones on Twitter during the game against the New York Knicks. And it's the thing about Kai Jones that, you know, he's, what, what he can do on the court is actually crazy. The, the pickpocket he had on the perimeter where he takes mm -hmm. it right from that steal and then, 
you know, kind of Euro steps, dunks going to his left with his right hand. I mean, it's it's stupid, right? That that stuff is so much fun. But the conversation between our buddy Nada and then Nikias, it was he really doesn't know what else he's doing outside of the really fun, exciting plays. <laughs> so it's like everything. But OK, OK, he's getting some run. Okay. But those fun and exciting plays require a level of skill that not a lot of players have. Yes. Like, th- that's what yes. that the, the point that I'm trying to make is not mm-hmm. that he's like some ready to play 40 minutes a game type of player. What the point I'm right. trying to make is that there is skill and intention baked in there. It's not all, hey, I've got these crazy physical tools and I'm going to employ them because you can't guard these crazy physical tools. No, there is mm-hmm. skill and intention there. And, you know, I, I think as we watch him grow, you're you're going to see that, you know, play itself out in terms of him becoming a better player and not just somebody uh, that completely relies on the fact that they're really tall and really long. Um, okay, so let's move on to Paul Silas. Paul Silas. Hey, well, real was quick, a- real quick, real quick. Sorry okay. to interrupt, but I no, have to no, say this. I got to shout out Terry Rozier because, again, Herculean efforts. He's been given, given his all. He's had the shooting struggles. We know that. But got to shout him out. 1,000th career three-point field goal made. He ranks uh, fourth uh, in three-point field goals made and attempted in franchise history, and he's due to pass Marvin Williams for third on both of those franchise marks. So just want to shout out Terry. Okay, all right. Yeah, now now let's uh, shout out Paul Silas, who passed away this weekend. Yesterday is when that news came in. Paul Silas passed away at the age of 79. He was a coach for the Charlotte Hornets slash New Orleans Hornets slash Charlotte Bobcats. So he was with this organization in a few different facets. Not only was he here as his assistant coach before he took over as the head coach, right? But, you know, Doug, this I was thinking about Paul Silas yesterday. It just made me realize how intertwined he is with the very fabric that is this organization as as much as anybody, I mean, mm-hmm. think about it, right? Like th- this one, this one actually, this one hurts a- a- as much of, as a lot of losses could for the Hornets organization because you're talking about someone that has literally had the most playoff success of any coach in Hornets history, in mm-hmm. Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats history. If you go back and look at that three-year stretch, so he took over midway through the season i believe that was the strike shortened season if i'm not mistaken that he took over so he coached like 25 games 30 games had a winning record maybe more than that but had a winning record in the few amount of games that he played um in the three full seasons after that he would reach the playoffs with charlotte he would go to new orleans with the team he would reach the playoffs there as well by any measure playoff winning percentage total wins how far you actually got in the postseason with that franchise Paul Silas was the most successful coach that this team has had all those winning records too, right? Even if you want to go to that, the the, the series we all go to, it's the second round series against Milwaukee mm-hmm. when there was an actual shot that the Hornets possibly could have gone to the NBA finals because that Bucks 76ers Eastern conference finals was really close. And I mean, the Bucks honestly looked like the better overall team at times. It was just AI was a superstar, but Charlotte, it was down to a Ray Allen corner three. And Mm -hmm. if that doesn't happen, the Hornets move on to the Eastern conference finals for the first and only time in NBA history, or excuse me, in in their NBA history, he experienced all the winning. He also experienced the most unsuccessful season in NBA history. When he had to take over a Charlotte Bobcats team that was not ready to win at all. Huge Mm -hmm. tank job. 
and they are the seven and fifty nine Bobcats. I don't count um, any of those losses, by the way. Not my not my record book. He doesn't get no. any of those losses because he took he absolutely he came in for the 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 Larry Brown firing. He he takes over, and it was essentially like mommy and daddy are struggling right now, so grandpa has to come over and watch the kids for a little <laughs> it's so while. True, like that's the thing. So like he took a bullet for this franchise. It, I mean, I you know. It's an emotional. It's emotional for me because he was like I felt like he was my Hornets coach because while I started watching probably during like the late Bristow into the Cowens era, like when I really loved this team is when uh, Silas was coaching those late nineties aughts teams, and mm-hmm. um, so but but the I think the most noble thing that he did for this franchise was coming in and and ushering in that tank era. Like it's just. It was. It, it's brutal that that those losses have to be on his record. But he was a champion. He was an NBA champion. Right. And he was a great coach. Um, and I think New Orleans was stupid for five for for not renewing. They didn't fire him. They didn't renew his contract. But I thought, you know, there's a big what if if that organization had stuck with Silas into the Chris Paul era, not gone to Tim Floyd, um, and then Byron yeah. Scott would would usher in the Paul era. But yeah, anyway, Silas, great coach and great guy organizational fabric you know i mean he was he was a constant on the sideline through and through. In, in in you know not not just as a as a coach but as a mentor as talking to clifford as somebody that would just show up to every game uh even if he wasn't coaching so he'll he'll definitely be, be missed coach lebron james for the cleveland cavaliers for a while yeah. lebron told spectrum sports net after he learned of the loss and after the game against detroit on sunday night he said probably one of the greatest human beings i've ever been around high praise from lebron and it, it's it's go ahead well you know what's interesting too when you dig down in kind of the history of the franchise is that i, I think what a lot of young fans don't understand about the hornets historically is that early on during those mugsy Alonzo, LJ days, the Hornets were beating teams offensively. They they would run the floor in, in a way that would like portend where the NBA was heading. You know, they were kind of pace and space before, you know, the the Rockets really figured out how to how to explode that. That's how they beat teams early on in the Bristow era and even into the Cowens era. But it was Silas who brought them into the nineties, you know, defensive minded basketball where the game was really centered at that time. And, and that's where some of that playoff success for Silas came from, is that he really instituted a level of toughness and defensive-mindedness that allowed that team to, to, to get victories when they didn't have a ton of like pure offensive talent, one down to 12. And so, you know, Silas uh, was bringing a different style of basketball, but it was one that really equated to the most winning that this organization did. So, and, and you know yeah. what, that identity took, took on what he was as a player. He was a five time, yeah. all defensive team selection, mm. averaging just under 10 points and right at 10 rebounds in 16 seasons in the NBA, long career, 16 seasons in the NBA as one of the more physical players out there that really had his team take on that identity. And, you know, I, I don't mind spending a, a few more extra minutes on Paul Silas, man. I, you know, it like this, I just think this is the type of loss that makes the Hornets community who we are, right? Like th- this type of player celebrating that type of guy 
because the odds are, and Hornets get made fun of it for so many times, it's it's the fact that we don't have this rich history like the Boston Celtics. You know, the Charlotte Hornets don't have this rich history like some of the other NBA teams. We've not been in existence all that long, 88 being the first year that this team existed in the NBA. You know, then we will have all the conversations about what jersey should be in the rafters, who are the figureheads of this organization. Paul Silas is nationally celebrated. And, and, and the fact that I feel pretty comfortable we can call him ours. He belongs to a lot, right? The Boston Celtics, you know, certainly mm-hmm. celebrate Paul Silas. LeBron James, we we're just talking about LeBron James' comment. But Paul Silas was coming to Charlotte games pretty much, you know, until the end. And I had that yeah. tweet out a couple it – was, it was honestly kind of weird. It was three years ago to the day yesterday, close to it. I think it was like December 10th, and then I tweeted it in 2019. I said one of the things I take for granted covering the Charlotte Hornets is the fact that I get to see every game Paul Silas go into the media dining hall and then fist bump everybody that he knows. And everybody is so happy to fist bump Paul Silas, dap him up, say, hey, how are you doing? Paul, smile ear to ear, larger than life, just this huge monster of a dude that you know is not someone to be trifled with, by the way. Those are some of the fun stories about Paul Silas as a coach. just coming in especially if if you were tyrus thomas that's correct that's the story yes um everybody just feeling like they were larger than life because they had a chance to to talk to paul silas man that that guy's ours and and to lose him that's a really sad day in the organization i i don't want to turn this into something where we berate the charlotte hornets for not honoring him because they did michael jordan released a statement right i i this is the type of guy that probably deserves something named after him right i just want to put that into perspective of people that might be new to the hornets this is the type of guy that it wouldn't be a hyperbole to do something pretty above and beyond what you would normally do in these types of circumstances. I think Paul Silas is that kind of figurehead within the organization. Yeah. And you mentioned what makes him unique is that the the Hornets history is unique in that it's broken. It's broken because they moved to new Orleans and then they came back as the Bobcats and, and Silas is unique in that he was a part of all three of those iterations. And in fact, the, the Hornets uh, fandom has lost two people this year, uh, yeah. including Jerry V, who was part of all three. Jerry V was part of all three of those Hornets slash Bobcats iterations, and so it's it's a tough year. Um, and, and I think it's a reminder to to continue to engage in the history of this organization and appreciate and appreciate uh, what what all of these people uh, did to bring uh, you know to continue to bring entertainment into our lives. And we know his son, Stephen Silas, the coach of the Houston Rockets, said how much of a mentor Paul was. And I think just to point out how good of a father was he was, um, according to Stephen Silas, says you know, Paul would, would also go to Stephen about his opinion. And Stephen would, he said how much that meant to him, like it was weird. His dad valued Stephen's opinion on the bench, you know, wherever he was. That was something yeah. that meant a lot to him. So, and certainly our thoughts are absolutely with the entire Silas family, totally. anybody that knew him well enough to consider him a close friend. We really are thinking about you and the Hornets community, man. This is a tough one. So really appreciate everything Paul Silas did for this Hornets organization, the Bobcats organization, the New Orleans organization. Man, he was with us through it all, through the success and through the down years. 
That'll do it for Lockdown Hornets. Thanks for making us your first listen every single day. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcast. That includes YouTube. Make your second listen Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, you can go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 